Um, I guess we're recording. <laughs> so formal. Um, I guess. Uh, hello everyone. <laughs> this is episode hello. episode one of the Silk Road. It feels like episode ten, man. <laughs> um, yeah, and a few technical issues. Many. So this from, is episode from, ten, technically. From all sides, to be honest. So. <laughs> 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 anyway uh yeah welcome to our first episode um so today we're going to be talking about the geography of the silk road um which we'll be putting into like segments and stuff so uh the segments we're going to be having is um basically the geography of eurasia um the different subregions that you can classify inside of it and then um <clears throat> Um, then we're going to actually talk about the Silk Road or Silk Roots, as you could say. Um, and then we're also then going to talk about the Maritime Silk Roots at the end. And it will be finito. So that is a da 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 Um, <laughs> let's get it started before someone fucking cuts out or some shit. I think it's the silk that you got around you that'll be cooking you just before, no, because before no, that is... before Sorry. that it because before the silk you had man it was okay it's like a curse no this is what no this actually gave me better fortune if anything <laughs> no it's curse really? bro because you yeah, know why I, I say so it's because it's made. Because no, I got this from the Silk Road. No, because you got it from Italy, bro. The Mediterranean. No, I got it's... this when I was bro. back in Dunhuang. You'll see some pictures. You'll see he, pictures. he means Venice, bro. This is real silk. This is a silk from the Silk Road, guys. Sh- show it. Show it to the camera. Oh, it is. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! See, that's not a very Chinese chandelier. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I was no, gonna say. That, that, <laughs> that's very, this has like a lot of. That's very like nineties. That's a very eighties. Like, very yeah. It's no, very... no, no. If you have a proper look at the artwork, it's it's more like fake sixth like, century. You know that type of stuff. Like it's like a almost like. It's not, it looks like a palace, like a Mongol palace. This exists. I might be wrong. Like like fusion like, food. Like the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little oh, bit. Like yeah. So it's got like uh, cultural so influence written, drawn all over this. So like our yeah. respect is you know. Yeah. Only the nobles wear silk back in the days. So <laughs> I'm technically much higher. Than you guys at the moment just because of this you aren't even wearing it bro you stole that and then you just put it on it's not even engraved into the clothing bro it is no it's not even real it's it exactly it's about owning a piece of silk while no one else can <laughs> man you, sa- you sound you sound a lot like one of them people who who stole the silkworms bro I'm not gonna lie. You sound like you hate poor people. (laughs) There's a lot of classes of here. When you buy silk 
everything changes. <laughs> your whole lifestyle hobos. just upgraded. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's I mean, actually. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's actually okay, so get to it. Before, before we get too far deep into classism. Um, yeah, cool. So we'll, we'll just kind of lay out uh, some of the regions that are uh, in Eurasia. Um, so firstly, what is Eurasia? I think most people know that, to be honest. So I don't think there's anything that we need to say about that. However, it is Europe and Asia together. Um, I, I mean, Africa's kind of connected to Euro- Europe and Asia, but they don't classify that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. No, I think, I don't think, I think it's separate. Yeah, it is separate, but why? But it's connected. It's connected through the Arabian Peninsula, but they don't, they don't want to be, they don't want to put it as a part of it. I, I don't know. It sounds a bit dubious to me. If I have to say so myself. But yeah, um, Eurasia is Europe and Asia. And this also includes some of the islands that are around Eurasia as well. So this includes um, Cyprus, for example. It's quite a good um, holiday destination. Bali, Indonesia. For the Brits. Yeah. <laughs> our, our good friend uh, Butch went to Bali, I think. Quite liked it there. He, uh, yeah. Uh, he almost to, died. It's them bandits from the Silk Road. That yeah. He he nearly got cooked. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. He got cooked. Black in. Yeah. He ne- he didn't get the bubonic plague, but he got the dengue fever, bro. It was. It was near to God bubonic plague, bro. He fucking unleashed <laughs> some fucking second century disease out there i'm not gonna lie it's it's like it's like dodging a fucking bullet but he just gets stabbed anyway like he just got messed up. yeah anyway sorry butch that's neither here nor there um yes so it encapsulates all of these places so one of the first places that we're going to talk about first is um we're going to be talking about um, China, the originators of silk. Say what? What China? Mm. Well, but it didn't though. <laughs> or maybe it didn't. Who knows? But China Ooh. is at the time when it first started is, from what most historians would say, just due to the fact that most people would say that most of the silk came from China as a monopoly. And before around 200 BCE, there weren't many too many silk roads, but they were having troubles with some rebels called Xiongnu. I think I've said that properly, but they were nomads and they were pretty bananas. So they sent out some envoys to Yuji to see if they were going to be like, yo, China, can I help you? And at the time, the 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 envoy when they went down there they saw some fucking big muscular horses some heavenly horses yeah like some heavenly bear bears arnold schwarzenegger man yeah they were like they were, huge they were called yeah they were called um Tiamat, was... which is literally heavenly horses they were like yeah. blood sweating horses that was 
Man, I'd love to see one of those, man. Important to them. They're probably why they... They're probably yeah, huge in like... more ways than one. Like what were like the native <laughs> horses in like China? <laughs> what was like the native horses in China? Like what would they like for them to be like? I want to go trade with them and have their horses. I guess China would just. Like, were the just horses like donkeys, that crap? Like, I, I, the... <laughs> if they uh... think the horses. If they don't have good horses, they must have donkeys. So you need to like, yeah, well, reach out. They had them the Sigma male horses. Yeah. At the time, I think they were just losing that war, and they needed. Yeah, and they saw those really good mm. horses, and they were willing to trade silks for it. And especially in Central Asia, um, the breeding of horses around that time was bigger than it was in Han Dynasty China, and because of that, yeah. they opened up to the Silk okay. Roads um but in china as a as a geographical location overall it can kind of usually be split into two um sort of regions north and south china right this is between the Mm -hmm. han and huai rivers that kind of splits it and especially in um, times of disunion or political unrest the um the splitting point is usually north and south, just due to the geographical settings, and and that's where it usually kind of splits, right? Yeah. Anyway, in terms of north uh, China, this is more landlocked area, so um, they usually have like more caravans. They they travel on wheels and stuff like that, and it's dry. There's some valleys and there's more mountains, and more or less the the stuff that they kind of make around there is like wheat, right? Whereas in South China, they're closer to the coast, so they're able to have canals and boats and stuff. And it's more of a monsoonal climate, um, which means it rains mm. a fair amount. It's like um, the UK, basically. Probably worse, I don't know. Never <laughs> At been. The moment. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, they because of that, there's more fertilization in terms of um, the soil and it, it's better for rice so those are the two different areas of um china um that i I would say that you could kind of put in and on the north side of china as well um it's good to remember that there is also the great wall of china just due to the fact that there are so many nomadic raiders in this area which we'll talk about later as the trans-eurasian steppes right and this is a big ass banana place it's like anyway we'll talk about it later but yes they were some crazy people they had the recurved bows and they were going nuts at china they're like ah no chinese people were getting scared and um until they got the horses mm. and they and then they got cooked either way that's the geography of china and now let's move to um <clears throat> South Asia. So South Asia is more or less where um, India is, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, around that area. So um, as is kind of said in like GCSE geography, I think that there's the Indian tectonic plate and this smashed into Eurasia. Straight into the, the bottom of Eurasia, bruv. Should have heard probably. And it made these bunch of like the... Tibetan mountains the, and the plateau of Tibet and the Himalayas, 
which is very, 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 very hard to traverse. Have you seen Mount Everest? Uh, many people have died there. So, I mean, yeah. I feel like it's a bit scary. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's different. But, yeah, it, because of this, it made this massive geographical divide between China and India. And it was really hard to kind of get through the Himalayas. So, usually, there are some caravans that kind of go through this area. Um, it's usually at the lower escarpments or valleys of um, the Himalayans that try to get through to pass Tibetan salt to the people. Obviously, this is really, really hard to do. So it's very limited in that sort of sense. But um, South Asia, um, obviously, was also a massive player in the maritime silk routes as well, just due to the fact it was just had such a control over the Arabian and Sea and the Bay of Bengal and the Indian Ocean as well. And this massive land mass just kind of had such a big effect and influence, which we might talk about today or maybe the next couple of episodes about its influence around uh, Southeast Asia and its culture and so on and so forth. But uh, we'll leave it for a bit later. But um, yeah. it, it's, it's definitely such um a pivotal area and it's so guarded by valleys and mountains and so on and so forth um so yeah that's one uh, other area and then another area that we can talk about is that i guess it's not really talked about much in terms of the silk route silk road is northeast Ch- asia so this is kind of like the northeastern of china shandong liaodong um, peninsulas, Manchuria, Korea, Japan, and I guess for most of the ancient era, um, this place was kind of isolated, especially Japan. I remember especially there was this period of time where it became mm. isolationist, and uh, they were like, "No, thank you, none of these foreigners." Uh, Japan. Yeah, for for a good oh, amount of time. It was like very isolationist. It was like during. Um, when they were like trading with the West, right? Like they allowed some trade, yeah, and then, some stuff um, got cooked. Something to do with like, yeah, something to do with like, show like a certain type of like dynasty or shogun took over, and they were like, "Fuck the West, there, like, we don't need any of this." There's a uh, there's a Netflix CGI series called The Blue Eye Samurai about it. It's pretty good actually. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, but mm. over time, they kind of started, the Chinese influence kind of grew and grew and grew, just due to the fact of the growing strength of China. And that growing influence mm. meant that the trade routes and um, the routes of trade and more trade happened basically to around this area. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's um, somewhat, it has its own East Asian coastal culture. Um, but at the same time, you know, it still had a place in uh, the Silk Road, and it's also said that some of the Persian um, Persian goods did end up all the way down to Korea and Japan, which is bananas. Oh, well, really? Yeah. So the Silk Very... Road went really far west. <laughs> yeah, they was going well. east of the east. <laughs> yeah, man. The beast of the east. They were they were cooking. They were doing the nene on 
Hold that, right? Silento. All the way down the circle. All the way down the circle. Oh, oh my God! Is he grinning? Is he grinning? No way. <laughs> He, he gritty down the Maritime Silk Road? No, he's different. Oh my goodness, he just gritty. He gritty from Persia to Korea. He's wild. Yo. <laughs> gritty Silk Road challenge? Gone wrong. <laughs> anyway. Silk Road challenge. The next couple parts is the South Southeast Asia mainland and also southeast asia islands so in terms of southeast asia mainland um this area was kind of really really good in terms of crops it was fertile it's forestry a lot of tropical areas and it was also just like such a coastal area um there was some uh routes that kind of went down here especially due to um the trade between China and one of the uh, most influential areas to the Maritime Silk Road which we'll I guess talk about a bit later is um, the Strait of Malacca which was a political chokehold um, but in terms of the Southeast Asia and islands um, there's a massive historical um, point here in terms of trade that there was massive trade here way 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 before um the maritime silk routes which we'll also talk about later but um yeah it, it's it's really crazy there's also northern europe so this is kind of as you would think scandinavia vikings vinland saga for mm. yeah <laughs> like you know uh, ah the god of war i don't know <laughs> I'm not really sure to be honest, but um, I know you can see the aurora lights. I don't know how you call it. aurora aurora. What did you say? What was it called? Aurora aurora. Borealis. Yes, yeah, that's, it, it, that's Borealis. it. Aurora. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was aurora borealis. Aurora aurora. <laughs> aurora borneo. Nah, just say the Northern Light, man. Oh, yeah, it's just much easier. <laughs> so the Northern Lights are there, and obviously around the ancient era and medieval, and moving up to the medieval area, there's a lot of Vikings, a lot of piracy, and it was just in terms of what you think about Vikings, it people would think of it as a backwards culture, but even then, due to Roman trade routes and trade routes being dispersed from the Mediterranean. And there were still things, even um, maybe around maybe the 10th to 13th century, trade routes would all go up to Scandinavia, Northern Europe, even as, and you wouldn't even think about that. So I think that's a good talking point. What Vikings and the Han Dynasty, what crazy pairing. That's like, I don't know, the nerd girl and jock boyfriend i don't know you know that's like it's a weird crossover <laughs> yeah yeah it's like lebron james pairing up with messi 
to like win a tennis match or something. <laughs> oh god, that's oh god, bro. That's pretty yeah, much it. Yeah. yeah, man. It it you you would never have thought about it, man. I would have never have thought yeah. about LeBron and Messi, bro. Now that's a goat. Yeah, and yet it happened. And yet it happened. Yeah, so crowd effect. The so crowd effect. And yeah, boom, and and it, they literally were connected even through this area. The next part we're going to talk about is, um, I guess, a, a more important part is the Mediterranean. So around the, most of the time of this Silk Route era, the Roman Empire was growing and growing and had a lot of control over the Mediterranean. So what are we talking about the Mediterranean? The Mediterranean is basically where the Roman Empire was. So this is a lot of North Africa, a lot of basically the coastal parts of the Mediterranean, Italy, as we know it now, Spain, Cyprus, Turkey, um, you know, just and to the even to like the the western edges of um, the Middle East. And it's good to think about this as one unified area because Basically, this was a large point of where all the goods were dispersed. So from the Mediterranean Sea all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean. And as we'll talk about a bit about later, was a large part in obviously in the age of exploration as well. But yeah, this, this yeah. dispersed everything. Right. Um, so it's, it's good to think about it. And it's basically the, the Western termination point that most people so think a, of for the Silk Like Roots. a trading hub yeah. between Europe and Asia. Yeah, basically, man. Mm. It's it's like the, the, the steam workplace. It's where you have the... You just start trading stuff, man. It's crazy. I need to trade some of my, like, steam cards. Man, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it, it's, that was definitely what people will see as the termination point, but it's not the termination point of the actual Silk Road, but more of a dispersion point to the rest of Europe, basically. But Oh, wow. Yeah. But to get to the Mediterranean, nearly every single overland area would have to go through the Middle East. So the Middle East around this, I would probably classify this from basically... Um, West, uh, Eastern Mediterranean, right, to about Western Persia, which we call modern Iran today, which is basically the Iranian plateau, right? And this encompasses mm. all of the mm. Arabian Peninsula. So around this area, right, the, the this area is super, super dry, super arid, and basically a lot of this was... Um, it thrived a lot on oasis cities. So these oasis cities mm. were, was what made the Mediterranean, uh, not the Mediterranean, sorry, but the um, the Middle East thrive. So this this was really important, and all the Silk Roads basically went through all the way through here. And um, a good thing to think about, actually. Um, so I think was was it the Persian Kingdom? I'm not sure, but Darius the First actually laid out um, 
uh, trade infrastructure, calling it the Royal Roads, all the way through the Middle East. This was before the Silk Roads as well. Uh, yeah, so I he... think some say like this that could be like the starting point hmm. of where they would say it's a Silk Road, and yeah. then over time uh, they just start connecting from Asia. Yeah, it, and that's it what is... they formed the Silk Road. Yeah, they they put they put the Chinese on, bro. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they got the Chinese it. on the. Oh, okay. <laughs> they should have they should have gatekept that shit. God, this is my, <laughs> this is our shit. But yeah, this is what I'd I'd uh more or less um a very pivotal part, and a lot of overland areas went to it. And it's also to say a lot of um the Arabian kingdoms, um. Mm-hmm. came off the coastal cities of the Arabian Peninsula and used a lot of the maritime silk routes through there. So um, that's that's very important. So now we're going to we're go we're we're closing in to where about the main silk road is. But before that we'll be talking about the Transurasian steps. What does the steps mean? Um, I think in Russia in Russian? Uh, the Russian word of step, I think steps a Russian word. Okay, I'm dilly dallying. Is grassy <laughs> plains, right? It's it's grassy plains. There's near to no trees, a bunch of flatland, kind of arid, grassy, and it's all flat. And it's basically, yeah, just this massive, massive stretch of land. Um, this basically stretched between eastern Mongolia, so that's basically, you know, if you think about Mongolia, is between Siberia and China, so the eastern part of that, all the way to about Romania and Hungary, which is nuts, yo, like that's, I don't know, that's a huge as flatland. <laughs> that that is pretty big. That's like that's quite big. Plains biome from Minecraft, man. That's like huge. That's, yeah, plains biome. Yeah, I'd be a bit scared to go there, to be honest. It's a bit too flat for me. Yeah, imagine like you just seen an endless <coughs> piece of land. Yeah. I don't know where it leads to. There's no road. It's just grass. no road, no nothing, no bitches. What? Yeah. Uh. Um, that in, so that's in between Mongolia and China, essentially. Yeah, so it's between Mongolia and China and this this massive stretch of land. So it's it's around um, here. Oh, you'll be seeing it on the podcast, but it's it's just here. Just these Mongolian Eurasian steppes that you can see that kind of border Siberia or as part of Siberia all the way all the way to um the balkans so that's that's a really important part important thing to think about um so this part there was a lot of nomads as we talked before these nomads were kind of cooking china for a little bit before china was like hey look we now we got the big boys now we got good then then they cooked them anymore me you know it's it's um, revenge against the cooks. They were both cooking. Uh, so I'm period inside now. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but the, this part, just due to the fact of it being so widespread and so plain that even before the Silk Roads, it was a massive, massive highway for the transmission of language, culture, goods, and so on and so forth. Because mm. after um, uh, chariots and horses and horseback riding was invented, it was a really, really easy way to get from A to B, east to west, um, which was really good. And a lot of this was the nomads and the hunter-gatherers, but eventually they became... Um, more domesticated and they started domesticating cattle horse sheep and goats but i think a good misconception i think that most people think about is that when they think of nomads they think of them just literally just running around and just fucking doing shit but in fact they would basically have like two two or more different camps that they would travel to to and fro from and in terms of like that they would go in the winter time and then when it would be in the springtime or when the, they knew that the oh. crops in a certain area would be good enough, they would come back to that area and start taking crops. So um, do, they which, just, do they not care about security? Like where someone found this? And um, I mean, I guess, they, but like, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I read, I read some of this actually. Um, It was like, like just a little bit like there's this like mong you know how big the mongol empire was and like genghis khan had like loads of like concubines and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah um it's like something similar to what the nomads are doing but basically there would be a queen or a queen of sorts af- looking after this nomadic tribe but then when it was time to move she would actually organize it all so she would give the command she would organize like everything to be like packaged away into horses put the tents up or like if it's massive put the tents in like this massive wagon and then start wheeling it to their like other destination and then from there then they just set up camp so it was like it's like a crazy ass like industry almost like they were running that shit like they were running a tight ship and like everyone had their own job and the, yeah, so it was a female who organized the whole well, thing. and that was that was just like one example. I think that was yeah. during like the Mongol um area. I don't know specifically what time, but like I that's like an idea on how like that would happen and like how oh. they would organize. Like, so like, there was actual bosses, there were actually people that had certain jobs to do, they had to herd and like. You know, they had to herd all the animals into an area, and then it was like a massive operation, which was like pretty insane. Because imagine so doing that shit like no emails or like no Bluetooth or something. Yeah, it sounds like a quite a well-constructed community. Yeah, man, there's mm. there's zero percent unemployment rate in that that type of organization. <laughs> yeah, you so be, you can't you get lazy that. over there. Yeah, you got. Yeah, and it. if you're lazy. Yeah, if you're lazy, you just die because you ain't doing anything. <laughs> yeah, you get, you just get. You had stuff to do. <laughs> you're either you're either employed or you just get cooked. There's no benefits exactly. around here, bro. It's like, it's like, oh, you don't pull your weight, your house isn't packed up, and now you're dead during winter. It's like you you cannot yeah. do it. It's a real do or die situation. 
Marielle. Yeah. Um, yeah, which leads us to our final area, which will also lead us to the main roads of the Silk Route. So if I hadn't said this before, um, the Silk Routes are actually not a Silk Road. That's why I've been saying the Silk Route. Because um, the yeah. the uh, the other one is kind of fraudulent. It's not a road, mate. Scandalous. It's not. It's not the M4, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, no. A misconception. It's not the motorway. Fella. False property. Oh. Conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's it's because of um Ferdinand von Richthofen. I think is his name. Is that his name? Yeah. Man- Fer- mm. no, Ma- Frederick, Man- isn't it? Frederick Manfred. I think it's Frederick. My yeah. Fre- Frederick von Richthofen, and he coined the term Silk Road, which kind of um, stuck. Oh no, it's Manfred. It's Manfred, Manfred von... yeah. Manfred von Richthofen, yeah. which I thought so. Um, and yeah, it kind of, kind of stuck, but they're, they're trying to change it more into the more, uh, the correct term, I guess, of uh, the Silk Roots, because that's... Yeah, it's more appropriate, I guess. Appro- yeah. Because it's multiple more, routes. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's multiple routes to it, so um yeah, yeah, it's just more appropriate really. It's not very it's just a bit inappropriate to call it a road. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Manfred was thinking. Yeah, come on now. Yeah. Come on now. But this but last right. area this last area is the Intermontane Desert and Belt. So this this part was basically the northwestern part of China, all the way to the Caspian and Black Seas. So, as you can see on this uh, map, that there be our seas. <laughs> um, <laughs> it goes oh, yeah, all the way it. over the plateau of Tibet, <laughs> all the way down to the Caspian Black Seas over here. Oh yeah. Oh okay okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so <see>. this <laughs> so this part basically the same as the Middle East was arid, dry and had a lot of deserts and basically sustained itself all due to the fact of oasis cities same as the Middle East um, and without these oasis cities I think it would be really really hard to uh, traverse this area so um this is basically a lot of this is where the main silk roads are which i have said um before (laughs) i guess but um (laughs) basically let's follow it here it starts off at xian or now it's called chang'an am i saying that right then yeah and it basically goes through all the way up here through this Gansu or Hexi corridor, which was a choke point in many periods of time. Um, Gansu, yeah. Yeah. Is that where the Jade, the Jade Gate? Yes. Uh, and this, this, yeah. This, this would go to the, the Jade Gate. So the, the Chinese people um coveted jade very 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 much and and held it with um high reverence 
So they used to um, bury their people covered in jade so they would keep the spirit inside of them at the time. So it's a, it's a, oh, okay. something to think about. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the big thing about um, the Gansu Corridor is that uh, in times of political unrest, this would be a especially hard area to get through. Um, especially just due to the fact that most of these Silk Roads don't really have any upkeep from the government. And due, in times mm-hmm. of political unrest and where there's disunion, this Gansu Corridor can definitely become a political chokehold. Um, so it would the Silk Road would always be thriving the most when the entirety of the Gansu Corridor of and from Xi'an all the way to basically um, Merv, all of this area would be, um, this territory would be taken in by a single civilization. That's when it would be thriving the most, as there would be no political choke point, and there would be upkeep mm. in this area. Um, an example of that would be the, the Mongols, of course. They had a massive area of um, Eurasia. So after you, you go through that, you would go basically to Dunhuang, and you go either up or down um, this area here. And this is around the Takamakan Mountains. So this area was a desert and it would also be very, very, very cold in certain times, right? So you could take the northern routes, so Turfan, Kuka, I don't know how to say that. And goes out of Kushgar, or you can go down to Dunhuang or Khotan, or you could try and risk your life and go through the Taklomakan Mountains, but that is extremely, extremely hard, and very limited people have done it and made it out alive. Yeah. Yeah, I read, um, I actually read this account by a Chinese monk who travelled through the desert, and in, in his diary or book he wrote he he was literally saying he was about to die like he didn't think he was going to make it out uh, <laughs> imagine like you work for hours and you find no water for days you're dying in the sun so yeah i i not can't a good place, not a good place to go yeah I, I could never do that personally but I, I it's keep... a shorter route compared to taking it around for... the desert though yeah for sure it, it's obviously the straight line route would be the the quicker route but the heavier death here route. So as you can see here, it goes into Central Asia and Central Asia, which we'll, we'll leave it for another time, had a lot of influence as well on the um, Silk Roads. Yeah. But it would go through Merv and go all the way through Baghdad, right? And this is a massive, massive trade route and trade point. In the Middle East, it would go all the way to Damascus, Tyre, and then all the way until it gets to Constantinople, where all the goods would then get dispersed. Right? So, I would say, in terms of the Silk Road, or the Overland Silk Road, um, this is the most well-known one. But there are two um, 
other main routes that uh, I guess are less spoken about. So there's one that when you get to Kashgar or around this area around here, it would go around the plateau of Tibet and under the Himalayans and would then start um, basically um, touching the Himalayans and touching the, the northern parts of India. And this would be a road that would go through Delhi and go all the way into India. And that would be the trade route to basically get into India and be trading into India. And to this day, actually, um, there is this um, highway around here called the Karakoram Highway. Um, so it's still actually um, used to this day. Um, oh, okay. to get to places. Um, I thought, so, yeah, I thought by now they would just use a boat if they want to trade. <laughs> yeah, um, but well, th this part is um, this part is like mostly inland, so um, oh, okay. It's it's a massive highway from basically Afghanistan all the way down to uh through Pakistan and then down to India from like China China area. And then there's oh, wow. the southwestern route that kind of goes from Chengdu um, and then it will go through like Myanmar and then it would then clip and then go down and kind of link to this southern route and go down to the Indian subcontinent. As you can see here, the Indian subcontinent is really, really important for the maritime silk routes, which we'll be talking about now. So as we said before, in terms of the silk routes, a lot of the Silk Routes were around the Southeast Asia part. And this was because there was talented, talented seafarers. So as you may or may not know, a lot of the Pacific Islanders and um, people in Southeast Asia, especially in the islands that they um, inhabit now, they basically literally just um, took a map, like a random boat and just started going out right <laughs> and so they had yeah. this massive control of like the seas from even maybe like 3000 bc right and so trade around this area was happening way 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 before the silk route and the maritime silk routes so oh. um, the maritime silk routes in actuality basically started the same time as the the overline silk, silk routes which is 200 bce so this what so this like precursor to the maritime silk routes is that like equivalent to that road i forgot the the um, royal the royal that... road in um mid the yeah, middle east is it like is, is it like that is it like the equivalent of that but just more in the maritime setting would you say um i mean i would say for yeah so the 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 royal road is a lot more recent and then happened maybe oh i don't don't quote me on this but i think from my memory maybe 500 bc though i don't know if that's true or not so don't quote me on that however and then alexander the great then conquered most of the the kingdom and took part, most of the royal road as well um but the the maritime silk roads and the austronesian silk routes so trade routes this is 
was much more extensive and obviously took way, way, way more um, area than the Silk, the Royal Road. The Royal Road was basically just most of the, like, from Mediterranean all the way to the ends of the Middle East. Whereas the Australian oh, right. or the Austronesian Silk Routes was a lot of the Pacific Islands or the Philippines and Southeast Islands. And it would stretch and connect to, like, the Chinese and Southeast mainland areas, right? Oh, and oh. a lot of this infrastructure then was then obviously inbuilt to cater to the maritime silk routes along the way so mm. additionally to this um the arabs and the arabian sea was a massive massive area as well so as you may or may not have known um as you said like a lot of the persian goods went all the way up to the northeast asia to korea and japan um which is really weird to think about but also yeah the uh, the there was a massive influence of um arabian culture around the 13th century especially when the islamic kingdoms started arising um yeah. therefore that's why there's a lot of influence around indonesia and malaysia in terms of okay. and also so, yeah carry on yeah so because you know when we talk about the silk roots and we say oh yeah most of the importance and influence have been from like Rome and China but then mm. like after hearing you talk it just seems like actually Persia and like the Persian Empire the Arabian Peninsula they have more of an effect than what like you know kind of common like perception gives it to the Silk Roads would you like agree with like was there like when we talk about the importance of like you know the big traders and like the big places like Rome and China, do you think that Persia and the Persian Empire they deserve to be like common knowledge of like you know when we talk about like yeah they were huge for the Silk Road. So uh, the Roman Empire was was different than the the, the Persian and the Islamic um, kingdom. So the Islamic like, caliphates would like would always be perpetually growing and then disbanding and growing and disbanding through, through oh. history whilst rome the roman empire basically was intact for a, quite a large amount of time but at the same time the the persian yeah. the the roman empire right because of its um as you can see in the map um its its control was yeah, on the on the mediterranean sea right <laughs> This this would it was basically shooting outwards to the Atlantic Ocean, which was the western side of the Eurasian um, continent. So they would yeah. have a much much greater influence around Europe rather than its influence around um, Southeast Asia, just due to the fact that it was less visible to them and it was harder for them to go through that way. Whereas the say the Arabian Peninsula. That connected straight to the Arabian Sea, which you go, which would connect straight, basically straight to the Southeast um, Asian Maritime Silk Routes. So that I would say is just a, easier for them to to get around, uh, basically. I think where they're located geographically, essentially, is between Constantin, um, Con 
you know, what, how do you, however you're pronouncing it? Constantinople. Constantinople. Yeah. Yeah, Constantinople and Asia. Mm. If they're like between the, doesn't that mean that a lot of the goods just go through them anyway? I mean, they were probably an important trader on the Silk Road as well. The... So I assume any trade that goes through it, they actually yeah. levy some tax, like they, they tax that goes through. So I guess in that way, they have quite the influence uh, on the Silk Road. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Could you say that again? So who who levied some tax? Uh, the Persians. Oh, like just because yeah. where they're geographically located, they have to go. Yeah. Through. Most of the trades will most likely go through there, if not through the maritime trade. So maritime route. So. Uh, I guess spoiler alert: though the Silk Road, <laughs> especially overland, was closed. Um, but oh. um, didn't get to that chapter. Damn, it's not even the road; it's just <laughs> the Silk Route. It's but just maritime. It's just Silk Road. A large, sea, I guess. A large part of the decline of the Silk Road and the maritime Silk Routes was that the Ottoman Empire, which controlled a lot of the uh, the Middle East. Um, in this, I don't know which era, but yeah, the Ottoman Empire um, put insane taxes on trade, um, and basically oh. hal- halted ta- halted trade for a large period of time, which caused the decline of uh, the maritime silk routes. Um, no. So basically, oh, what you're saying oh, is the correct. Rise, the rise of the the rise of the Ottoman Empire. As soon as they captured Constantinople, Constantinople. <laughs> what are you saying? Like, in, like, the what, con- 16th century? <laughs> yeah. 16th century? Yeah. I don't know how to say it. Why, why, why are you saying it like Constantinople, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Constantinople. This is Constantinople. It's not that hard to say. Constantinople. Okay, okay. Constantinople, <laughs> bro. Shit. No acceleration on that I nipple. Guess... <laughs> Congrats. Shit. Stay constant. Constantinople. No, no, no. Constantinople. This con- is noble. Constantinople. No, noble. Constantinople. There we um, go. All right. Well, what were you saying? Right, Constantinople. But when they captured it in, I think, the uh, 17th, 15th century. I don't know. I forgot. I will check that. Um, okay. I read about it. Though. <laughs> uh, so, Sources. Just but, trust but, me. I read it. Captured it. <laughs> trust me, bro. I <laughs> read that shit. I'm not good with days. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so they when they captured captured the place, they basically, as we said before, it was such a huge trading hub. They essentially slowed down the trade between Europe and Asia. Yeah. And that's why some argue that the Europeans, sorry, the Romans and Europeans started uh, looking elsewhere through the sea. Hmm. And that's right. what prompted 
the age of discovery and right. followed by European colonization and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that's actually a little bit of a misconception as well, because oh, it's like almost saying that the Ottoman Empire was the reason why the Europeans and the Romans started going around exploring and eventually led to European, like a lot of colonization around the world and the discovery of America as well. Mm. Um, but we'll discuss that in another episode because that's a little bit, a lot into that. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a sticky situation. But, um... It's a sticky because some facts may be overlooked. In the For real. Um, some, something to note as well, that also because the Indian subcontinent, so the Indian uh, South Asian area, was had a big play into also the maritime silk routes. There was a massive influence of like Indian culture on Southeast Asia as well, just due to the mar- the the maritime trade routes in that area. Um, and there's a lot of Indianization because of that as well. Um, but yeah, and so uh, I guess a part of what Ot- the Ottoman Empire and, and all that, um, basically in times of political conflict, say there are times where I say in the Song Dynasty, um, this, they did not have control over the Gansu Corridor and because of that it made it perpetually and so much harder for them to basically start trading overland. And because of that, they started going through the maritime silk routes. And um, Jan, we discussed yeah. this at a previous time, but you said like in terms of previous conflict as well, and in general, the maritime silk routes were used so much more, and especially due, as technology increased as well, it just was used more and more and more. Um, yeah, as like um, naval nautical technology uh, gets better, and also more marinas or like traders getting experience on the sea. Like they, like over time, they have enough experience to basically go from India all the way, like they can basically travel all the way through the Indian Ocean without stopping. Um, and cutting, cutting the travel time by like days. So that's yeah, why literally. the maritime trade just made more sense economically. Yeah, and in terms of like overland um, trade routes, like the, the biggest part of that was to get through Central Asia. Uh, Central Asia had many, many different things, especially in the ancient era. Um, it had many different things that um, were not yet found in different areas, such as the recurve bow, cavalry, horses. So especially yeah when silk route was just opening up um these were things that were um highly coveted and therefore they kind of needed to go through central asia and also because yeah. of that made it into a massive trade route but yeah that's the the geography of um <laughs> That's the geography of the Silk Road. Yeah. Um, but I think 
the main thing Amazing. to take away here is like the it's not just one straight road from A to B, from Asia to Europe. It's multiple routes coupled with maritime trade routes made this entire right. thing happen. Right. And that is why the whole thing called is called trade route. Yeah. And mm. and to to that extent, even at such an early age of civilization, um literally almost all of the all almost all civilizations were basically connected all at once just due to this. And and the transfer of so many things were happening. It's crazy to think that even now at our day and age, like we are so connected now. But when I think of like say the ancient era or whatever, these periods of time of the Roman Empire, the Han Dynasty, or you know, Japan and like their like shogunate era and when they had emperors, Vikings, so on and so forth, you see these periods of time and you think that they are isolated pieces of history. However, they're all interconnected and the Silk Road kind of um, symbolizes that in its own yeah. sort of way. Um, which is really, really, really cool. Expanding and colonizing and meeting new people. Yeah. So... And and that and I feel like this this Silk Road was made there's such a massive butterfly effect in terms of advancing technology, civilization, everything in general. Um, yeah. So it was a, an imperative piece of um, history. But um, I could argue yeah. like, without the Silk Road, we'd be still throwing stones at people. Yeah, probably. literally, literally. I mean, yeah. like, the gunpowder was spread through the Silk Road as well. So mm. that's one thing, as in mm. like yeah. weapons and stuff. It's, yeah, it's crazy to think because like, obviously now, well, throughout the common years, like we see China as like, oh, it's a growing super country. Like, oh, it's got like so much like industry and trade, but the Silk Road just kind of shows it's kind of always been like that, actually. Yeah, like, they've been doing this for years. Like they've been centuries. doing this. It's, it kind of shows how like our view on like China, especially like during the, like the modern age is very like westernized because, you know, like it was mm. always like Western media saying, oh, they're a growing thing. Oh, you know, they're going to become the next like big thing. But like if we look at history, like what we're literally doing now, it's like shit, like China had the shit on lock. Like they were crazy. Yeah. Like they were growing. They were that thing. Like everyone wanted to be them. Everyone wanted to have their silk and their like, you know, yeah. goods. And it was like, you know. It's like, damn, uh, like, yeah. nothing really changed. I, uh, to to a certain extent, not to be political. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> no, but to a certain oh. extent, I think... What's, I think, what's uh, he going to follow up with? <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to say? You won't see me for episode two, guys. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> no, but I... I, I feel like... Um, yeah, China cuts itself short in their transfer of culture. Um, I think especially now, like there's so much in China now in modern day that nobody even knows about. And I think there's a lot that's just locked within it. That's just not 
that transfer of knowledge isn't just shown out to the world say like compared to korea and japan where their culture is like transferred towards all of western you know media but that's that's what yeah. i just said, think Okay. Yeah, okay. it seems like China was just doing its own thing while Europeans was just doing like going for an adventure. <laughs> it was chilling. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I mean China kept like splitting and coming back together like five million times. But you know Yeah, I mean they just had their own beef internally. <laughs> yeah, they were like, they, they just was, had no time for adventure were, time. They were struggling with themselves, man. Yeah. They they needed some internal reflection. They're the biggest enemy. <laughs> they're their own biggest enemy. For real. For real. For real. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, let's let's go here. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much, guys, for listening to our first episode. I hope it was good. I hope it was quirky. I hope it was smexy. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> we're gonna look at this post. <laughs> We're going to look at this post-production and we're like, damn, we were cooked. This was ass. Who knows? Just like, what the fuck they comparing shit to LeBron James? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what does he mean by the silk that's not real? What's going on here? <laughs> anyway, thank you very anyway, much, guys. Yeah. And we'll see you yeah next time see you on the next episode bye bye